This is a message to all my supporters of this podcast. I'm introducing a new supporters program. You can contribute a small amount as a one-off payment to show your love for this podcast. Thank you in advance for all your contributions. wanted to let you know before we start the podcast that um, I am doing an online uh, podcast course how to be able to create um, get your guests scale it and monetize it so uh, please do go to abmpodcastcourse.co.uk um, and be go into the contact us bit um, I'm looking for new people to be able to be a podcast uh, creator and really to be able to develop their skills and knowledge into a podcast so as I said go to abmpodcastcourse.co.uk and sign up thanks this is the absolute business mindset podcast created and hosted by mark hayward this podcast will help and support you with new ideas about business these are my thoughts ideas and comments today i have ollie phillips who has had a glittering career in rugby and in business hi ollie how are you great thanks mark very well thank you very much i'm not enjoying these Early dark nights, though, that now are hitting us, and, and that's, uh, not, that's not what it's all it's about, done, isn't it? It's October that you know that things are coming. Yeah. The winter time. Um, so before we go into the, your rugby career, you did a business degree at Durham. Why did you choose to do a business degree, and why Durham? Uh, well, truth be told, I I was originally meant to be going to the uh, to London School of Economics. Okay. Um, I was at a school called Bryan College down the south coast and I was forecasted, predicted two A's and a B in my A-levels. And I um, I discovered the, the magic of rugby and, and girls at 16. So that sort of quickly put paid, unfortunately, to, to those two A's and a B. And I came away with BBD. And uh, London, I think the London School of Economics is sort of like, mm, you know, we'd like to accept you, but we're not going to. And then... My second choice was Durham, but I'd never really thought it was going to happen. I thought it was going to be in London. I was playing for Harlequins at the time, so I thought that's where I was going to end up. And fortuitously, Durham said, look, you know, actually, we'd, we'd still would like you to come. Um, and so I, I went up to, to the northeast. I thought it was actually probably a good move for me to be in a collegiate environment away from, if you like, the distraction of London, et cetera, et cetera, to, to go and be a, a, a quality sort of red brick university and uh, and make sure that i went and at least came away with a really a good degree because uh, you know because of the fact that my a levels were not where i thought they would be so i I really needed to make sure that i made amends and went and got a a decent you know first or two one from a a top top class university and so durham was the the place for me to go both professionally and personally if you like just for for a bit of an emotional break psychological break and also to to re, you know refocus and make sure I I got I got my two one good at the minimum and, and and why why a business degree? Do you know what I just think it was it it was just probably the you know the the thing to do was just in vogue if you like I, 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 at eighteen I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do except for, except for chasing egg around a rugby field right I knew that I loved doing that but I, I wasn't sure where my career would go what I would do professionally I didn't even know rugby would 
would work. So I didn't want to put all my eggs into that one basket. Um, and as particularly as I then got, you know, BBD, my A-levels, it became even more relevant for me and pertinent that I, I got a, something behind me because it could all go wrong at some point. Um, and I just thought that, you know, at some point I'm going to have to go into the, into the big bad world of, of, of business, so to speak, and, and the corporate world. And so, you know, why not go, go and do, you know, a, a BA in business at a, at a great institution like Durham and, and just learn about all the areas of, of business. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to jump straight into the rugby because um, it's something I'm really uh, passionate about. So you played for Gloucester, you played for Stade Francais, you played for Harlequins as well. But what was it like captain England in the rugby sevens? Uh, I mean, it was like, it was like a fulfilment of a dream, right? I mean, that's what you sort of aspire as a, you know, as a less than 16 year old, as a 13, 14 year old kid, starting to play rugby you know for your county and for your region and all the sort of stuff it starts to get a little bit more serious at that point and I just took so much joy and pleasure from playing and playing my friends or whatever that I I always knew that this is what I wanted to do kind of thing Um, in fact that's a lie I didn't always know but I just loved it so much that any opportunity for me to keep playing was brilliant and when you know when the opportunity someone said actually we'll pay you to play I was like wow okay well I mean I don't want to tell you this, but I'd probably do it for free anyway. But, you know, great. Thanks very much. Um, you know, being a 20, 21-year-old student at the time without, you know, anything, without, you know, living off my whatever it was, a £1,000 a term in, in university, I was delighted that I could get an extra couple of hundred quid for, for playing rugby. Um, and, and fortunately for me, England came knocking very, very early in my career. Like when I was 20, I was off to Dubai and... If, just you know that whole experience of of playing with a rose on your chest singing the national anthem before you you know you go out to represent your own country is you know is a is a very very proud moment made even sweeter by the fact that with the sevens you obviously went and chased the sun around the world and and we were actually pretty good as well so it also helped that we won a lot of the time which which made it even better always helps doesn't it um and and how special was the hong kong sevens oh, just on another level right so my first first was was the first two years of being involved within the England squad we went and went back to back in Hong Kong you know which England have never done ever since you know they've never done it before or post so to be there to be part of that squad to be part of that group of of players going to Hong Kong in a massive expat region that love their rugby love England more than anything else in the world and and to you know to win in front of circa 55,000 people it's just yeah it's it, it's i mean melrose is the home of sevens where it's created but hong kong's sort of you know now got now the heart of sevens if you like yeah. and it, it was just a you know special special place special time with it also within the context of you know some of the most iconic players in the world were playing at that point in time as well lomu playing for new zealand cullen playing for new zealand sarevi playing for fiji Runenbaka playing for fiji just you know all these greats i two years prior been just salivating on telly watching for my student digs suddenly here i was playing against them and winning like winning as well which is even better and oh, it's just still makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up every time i think about it awesome that's awesome and and so it's interesting that you then went to Stade Francais in France and played 15s in France how how different was it transitioning to a different country 
same game but slightly different emphasis how was it how was it doing that transition yeah i mean i, I mean i've been playing 15s all the way through so the way it worked was you played 15s for your club my club at that point in time was newcastle falcons and then you got called up for england squad and then the coach at the time was you know clive woodward my and our seventh coach was a guy called mike friday but you know you would basically get told that you're going off to play sevens you're going off to play saxons and you're going off to play you know the All Blacks at Twickenham in 15s or whatever else. Um, so the, I guess the transition into the game wasn't really that different because every time I came back from a sevens tour, I would be playing 15s anyway. The difference was the cultural side of it. You know, I've been in Newcastle where, you know, yes, okay, probably the only similarity to the French is they spoke with funny accents. But, you know, that aside, very stark contrast to Paris, right? Newcastle and Paris are two very, very different cities. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, the Geordies do speak another language, but the, but the you know, French is very much a completely different language. So I think, you know, culturally it was very, very different. Mm. And then professionally it was, you know, at that point in time, I think it's fair to say that you know, in Newcastle, we were not a big club. You know, we'd have sort of you know, five people and their dog turn up for, for a game, even though we had arguably one of the greatest players of all time playing for us in Johnny Wilkinson. But here I was with an opportunity to sign for you know, a team that was the, well, at that point, almost you know the biggest in Europe. You know they were the, they and they were not shy of shouting about it. You know they played in pink. They were had a gregarious gay owner. You know it, it was it was the flamboyant club of Europe, and you know, they they weren't just you know they had they packed a punch too, right? They, you know they weren't just sort of loud and and brash. They were. You know, they were artistic, they were, you know, bright, they were colourful, but equally they were you know, flamboyant and they were effective. They were ruthless as a, as a, as a team. And I, I was, you know, very fortunate. I got a chance to go and play for them for three years, which was an amazing experience for my rugby career, but also for my personal life. You know, I look back at it now. And of course, you remember the rugby, but the greatest thing and the, the best thing that comes away from it was actually the, the cultural experience, the friends that I made, you know, the language that I learned. I, I learned French fluently. So... I take that more as a as a bonus than the you know the opportunity to to play to play rugby. And how was it learning the language? Because I see that you um, you're an, you're an ambassador cactus language training. Did that come from your time in France, or was there, is there another reason for that? Uh, that? That sort of came afterwards, but but I mean it was because I wanted to champion everything about you know the benefits of of learning a language you know, and and if you like the the added pluses that it gives you the, the extra tool, the tools that it, that it puts into your arsenal if you can actually go into a country a region a city learn the language and then you know, integrate more effectively within the local community and, and that was definitely a, dif, a differentiator for me um yeah, how hard was it to learn the language it's, i mean yeah it was, it was tough right i mean it's it's a latin-based language and i think for six months it was a slog i absolutely worked my socks off and i really didn't get very far with it and i remember someone just saying to me like you'll know when you start to dream in french <laughs> and i can remember to the day december the 23rd i've been there since june i went back to my family for christmas or whatever else and i put my head down that evening and i i just thought in french for some reason about what i was going to do the next day or like or i need to brush my teeth or whatever I, but i thought it in french mm. not in like english and then translated it mm. and i suddenly was like Oh my god! Like, I get it, I get it, and and from that point on, I just I, I just flew kind of thing. I I really learned fast, and um, 
And I'm incredibly grateful for that because that is definitely probably the, the best thing, the greatest skill, if you like, that came out of that experience. Well, I could talk to you about rugby all evening, but I have a duty to talk about business. Um, it's so a business. I mean, rugby is a business and it's struggling right well, now. So no, we, can talk, we can talk all day long if you like. <laughs> um, you have done a varied, since retiring, um, you've had... Um, so before you retired, you were a brand ambassador for Jaguar Land Rover. You were also a, a, a global brand athlete for uh, um, for um, Adidas, I think it was, wasn't it? Was it Adidas? Yeah, I was. It, it yeah, was I was indeed. Yeah, Adidas. So um, how was it while being one of those sort of brand ambassadors? Was there duties that you had to turn up to and sort of speak at? and sort of be present for adverts and things like that. What was the sort of the business side of sport at that stage? Yeah, you know, it was, I mean, it is as it was as it is now, if you like, there were you know, sponsorship opportunities. You had a brand that was attractive to certain you know, institutions or, 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 or certain brands in itself. Um, and, 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 you know, and they, and as long as I guess your values and your principles correlated with that of the that particular yeah. brand or that particular mark it, it worked you know mine you know land rover jaguar land rover you know traditionally a, you know, a british based business mm. you know, not not necessarily now but you know originally and um you know they were trying to crack the french markets so a great opportunity for you know an englishman that's integrated very well into into france can speak the language playing for the biggest club in europe Etc. Etc. It was a it was a good fit for their market. Um, now Adidas, I'd always been a huge fan of 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 their boots and, and their their apparel. And when in, I won the the award for best player in the world in two thousand nine. That was kind of the. I mean, I'd been an like an ambassador or an athlete for two years prior, but that was the one where they sort of like, okay, you're going to be a global athlete now for us. It coincided again with me signing for Stad, who were sponsored by Adidas, big global brand, you know, playing in pink. So it was, it was just, if you like, it's all about timing, right? It's a lot of these things. And the timing for me was great with all these sorts of brands. Um, and so you, you, you make hay while the sun shines, you know, yeah. right now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer with, you know, they, they, I don't play anymore. So those brands are no longer, no, no, no longer interested anymore. Right. So, so it, it just as you can quickly get in favor and quickly get out of favor pretty quickly. <laughs> You don't have to tell me numbers. I don't, well, you can tell me numbers if you want. But how? What was the difference between a lucrative sponsorship deal versus your salary for Stade Francais or for an, uh, any other Premiership team? Uh, it was the, what we? I, I actually just I don't have a clue. So I'm just interested. Like, are you sort of talking that uh, one is half of the other, or are they similar? No, I mean if every single negotiation is different right so it's a case-by-case basis and it depends on the value of the athlete and to the brand and you know the rationale and the reasons as to why that athlete's attractive to them and etc etc in my case you know they were miles away yeah absolutely miles away in terms of that doesn't mean i was earning astronomical money at stat but they were just you know the the deals were not lucrative in terms of financial but you know there was a bit but but it was it was more a, a bit of you know, contra and value in kind and you know, for Land Rover, you know, you get a Land Rover or whatever else and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, Adidas, you had the, you know, if, if you like, there were some of the sort of 
um, hidden benefits of like, there was a huge Adidas shop on the Champs Elysees that I could walk in at any time with any of my family and kit them out in whatever I wanted, you know. So whilst money is important, there are experiences that money really can't buy. I mean, that could buy it, right? But it would take away the value, right? It's, it's. I don't know. There's the the, the experience of being of walking in and being treated as a, like an ambassador and a guest and whatever in a place and being given it for nothing as opposed to walking in and paying for it whilst the outcome is still very the same right you still get the same amount of kit and same uh, just two very different experiences um and i love that i really appreciated that element of it all um uh, so i mean and that, bear in mind this was in what 2000 and 10, 11, uh, you know, the, the game, well, pre-COVID, the game had, had, has moved on enormously in terms of that. And, you know, now a lot, you know, lots of the, the sponsorship arrangements have, have, have really accelerated. I think the World Cup being in the, in England in 2015 changed the, you know, the dynamic a little bit, particularly from the UK perspective in terms of where rugby players sat and everything else. Yeah. But, but the sport now is, is really struggling, right? I mean, it's, the COVID has, has has decimated a lot of the clubs and the finances or whatever. So all that progress that has been made, you know, I would argue that even you know the game has now re- regressed to maybe where it was in, at, when I was playing, and at that point, and maybe even before, just because of the finances and the amount that the, you know the clubs have, and countries have suffered as a result of that. And where do you think sort of rugby now goes when it comes to to rebuilding? Is it in infrastructure is it by the, the aim to get the fans back into the uh the stadiums as quickly as possible or is it through television um what how do you think rugby re- rebuilds itself let's just say in in england for rather than elsewhere well i i think it's you know the greatest tool asset that rugby's ever had right is, is the community okay it's the which encompasses the fans you know the reason why so many people love rugby is just because of that it feels like a family the whole time right even though it's a huge global sport and 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 spectacle it it still feels like you're part of this really tight-knit um family community and and that's what's missing from it at the moment i don't know if you saw games on the weekend you had like iconic players that have played a long long time and chris robshaw and richard wigglesworth or brad barrett in particular two players that are retiring in front of empty stadia, right? No one there to actually sort of thank them for all their service. And, and that's what's missing that the fans being there, the local mini rugby happening on a Sunday, all these kids that are not actively participating and taking part in, in the sport. And that's absolutely critical for the game to get back on its feet. Sure. The, you know, the, well, the TV money would be more, but you know, TV, they can still play with TV now, right? Uh, they just no fans, but it's not the same spectacle. Um, and you know, what we might see in the next couple of weeks, you know, Exeter, for example, this, you know, their just incredible story as a club that came from, you know, nothing, not, not from nothing, but, you know, a, a championship side yeah. to winning the premiership. And now they, they play in two weeks with the opportunity to win Europe, be champions of Europe. Yeah. Now, that is an, an incredible success story for them and they're going to do it in front of no fans potentially right that's that's tragic for, for that region of the uk for that rugby club for their fans that community so that is what needs to happen and then yeah, infrastructure everything else like that i think they can they can you know worry about later the biggest 
if you want to ask about from a uh, you know a, a business side of it, for me and some people will definitely disagree with this, but for me the biggest opportunity has already been missed um, because COVID, for all the negatives that it had, it could have forced the clubs into effectively aligning all of their calendars. Right, they wanted to bring a um, a global calendar into play whereby. You know, all the teams in New Zealand, Australia, South Africa were playing at the same time and their season was correlated with all the, you know, what's going on within the UK and France and everywhere else like that. Yeah. And what that would have meant would have the, the possibility of a global league, a global, you know, a world super league in terms of clubs and also countries that could, that could go on year after year after year. They haven't, they haven't been able to get around the table and actually thrash it out and make that happen. And and what, rugby's rugby's greatest strength originally is now its greatest weakness in that it's so fragmented as a sport. You know, you've got if, if you look at you're asking where does the revenue come from? It comes from fans and it comes from TV, right? It comes from from media. And right now, if you're a media buyer, rugby's not an attractive proposition because you, you know you have to if you want to if you want to own rugby per se, you have to just have discussions with just so many parties. If you want the premiership, you have to speak to Prem Rugby. If you want Pro 14 for France and, sorry, for Wales, Ireland, Scotland, you need to speak to the you know, Pro 14. If you want top, French rugby, you need to the top 14. Then if you want European rugby, you've got to speak to Champions Cup. If you want the local derby, you've got to speak to, back to the RFU, right? So you've got five already. Then you go to, oh, I need international rugby. Well, you need to speak to Six Nations for that. You need to speak to Autumn Internationals for another product. Yeah. Need to speak to Sanzar for the championship. It's it's just relentless, right? You know, you've already got eight, nine different parties as a as an investor, as a rights holder. That is not attractive, right? You know, you want to you want to go to one person, one organisation, be like, let me buy it all. Here's a massive check, and away you go. And they've missed that opportunity. That's really interesting because I think. Um... I, I, I don't think my audience would really have uh, thought about rugby being so fragmented and so many different interested stakeholders uh, in there. So, um, I mean, that's that. So, I mean, to round that off, that's what I think. I hope CVC are doing at this present moment in time. You know, that you're seeing this incredible, incredibly powerful and well-funded private equity house, VC fund, whatever, like to start to move into rugby, and it's starting to own minority stakes study you know between 28 and 30 percent in the premiership they're trying to get in the six nations and the pro 14 they're trying to do the top 14 so once they own the whole lot then they can start to negotiate around amalgamating and bringing the whole thing together but the only thing i've seen cbc do similar things with other sports and and uh maybe turned it around but they they're a private equity house they don't hold on to things long long term do they? they they would be looking to market it to increase revenues increase profit profitability ready to be able to sell it in 10 years time yeah but i think yeah i mean that's true right that's that's good commercial sense that's good business but if they do that they, they, they've created a much more valuable product right so that is yeah that is more aligned is more valuable has more you know greater productivity increased revenues as you say greater profitability all that messaging for me is pretty positive for the game. Mm. Um, and, and, and I think we'll only propel it to, to, to another level. I think if you know, what you're seeing now is because of the way that it's fragmented, 
everybody's fighting for themselves, right? You've got everyone just trying to fight and stay above water and there isn't a unified, united sort of decision-making process and that's hurting the game. But, you know, that's just my opinion. You can speak to somebody else and they'll shoot me down in flames, but that, you know, that's oh, why. There's, there's still a, a huge fraternity who want um, English rugby to stay predominantly based around England because the derbies for them are the most important things. Of course, uh, sort of Bath versus uh, Bristol is more important to them sometimes than even European rugby. Yeah, but, yeah. Amalgamating the, the the product doesn't change the you know the, the Gloucester and Bath derby is not going to go away. It'll still be happening. If anything, it's become even more valuable as as a product, right? Because those rivalries are are what will drive the value of the product. Um, but you you get the you just get certain individuals that are very sort of single mindedly focused on what's really important just for them, yeah. rather than what's important for the game. And I think if if it's going to grow as a game, as a product, which and it's an incredible product, you know, it it needs to it needs to adapt and mould a bit. And you know, it still that still might happen because of COVID, right? But but there was a huge opportunity missed in in amalgamating the the, the calendars. Yeah, I agree. I think that's an interesting point. So you've you've been a commentator for Sky and Eurosport. How does it feel turning up on match day? Um, for your favourite club or for England? And how does it feel actually just turning up and talking about rugby rather than actually being on the pitch playing? We'll be back after a quick break. If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. Well, I walk away a lot less sore, that's (laughs) definite. Um, Apart from that, that's probably the only bonus from it. I think... um, I think now, at 38, uh, you know, th- those ghosts have, have gone now, if that makes sense. You, you start, you know, you start to realize and rationalize around like my body's just not capable of doing the things it used to be doing. Um, but in, in saying that, you know, the, uh, the transition, well, I, I, I just found I didn't find very easy at all. There are certain players that are are fine with it and, and they're ready to rock and roll and they're ready to leave. If, if, because my, my career was ended slightly short prematurely by through injury at, at 29 um you know i felt i still had something left left to give to the sport so so for certainly for i don't know three or four years i i was you know i i was watching in in in, in envy and, and jealousy if you like of what was still going on hoping and aspiring that i could maybe get back to playing that um and 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 that was something it, it took me a bit of time to to manage and, and get through and everything else like that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, now I just love, I'm a fan again now, which, which is what I love. I've got two young daughters that I can't wait to take to watch rugby. And, um, yeah, I've definitely, now I look at it and I enjoy my rugby again. Whereas I used to, I think I used to look at it frustrated and you know, disappointed that I couldn't still be there. How was that from a mental health point of view? Was there a, was, was like, I, I don't want to label 
anybody or anything, but would you say that you were depressed or were you just envious and frustrated? No, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think the, um, you know, we're very, very good at talking around physical health, right? It's important to you know be physically well and you know, look, look physically fit or feel physically fit and all the rest of it. But we don't talk around being mentally fit, you know, mentally, mentally healthy. Um, for some reason, I don't know why, but you know, that's kind of t- taboo. Uh, although, you know, those, that's definitely sort of being, those barriers are being broken down a little bit now, which is awesome to see in, in, in society. But from my, my personal perspective, you know, 100%, I was, I was in a pretty dark place for, for, I would say three to six months that, that took, that took, you know, I needed some help to, to transition through that. And fortunately for me through our players union, which is called the RPA, I, I was able to get that help through a company called Cognacity and, you know, saw a therapist or counselor, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call them. But, um, and they helped, you know, they helped me manage through the, this muddle and mess that I had in my brain and the emotions that I was feeling. Right. And I'm a huge advocate of, you know, feelings drive emotions, emotions drive behaviors. And a lot of my feelings and emotions were fairly negative and, Built around frustration and anxiety, and yeah, you know, and 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 feeling a bit disillusioned, right? And as a result of that, a lot of my behaviour and decision making was being compromised due to that, and was fairly negative. Um, and so I, I was just—I'm incredibly thankful that those people were there at that point in time to, to help me, because some other people are not fortunate enough to have that. And you know, I, I, you know that one of the, that that is probably a period in my life that was incredibly pivotal and important to me in terms of my transition away from sport into what I do now. And I suppose family, you say you've got two girls, a wife. So what was, were they, were they supportive? Have have they, have they helped you? Because I found through experiences that I've had with um, mental health, that my, my family and my kids are a great stabilizer. They're great stability for me. And, 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 and even though things might be going well or might go not so well, you've always got that stability at home that, that, that for me is a great benefit. Yeah, I mean, they. Um, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, they weren't around at that point in time. I, I look at it as fortunately that, that they weren't a part of my life at that point because, I, to be honest with you, I don't think I was probably mentally or emotionally mature enough to to manage that. I probably would have cocked that that up. You know, I definitely would have. I was too sort of self centered and too probably egotistical and narcissistic at that point of. Uh, you know, of, of still thinking that it was all about me and my, and my focus and, and needing sort of recognition and adulation and whatever else like that. So it probably would have gone the wrong way. So I'm just thankful that, you know, my wife came into my life. She actually came into life in, into my life in, in the middle of that process. I mean, and, and she quickly realized actually this bloke's a toe is in a bit of a mess here. I'm just going to step away for a bit. Otherwise it's going to get, it's going to get out of hand. And then was, uh, incre- is, she is an incredible human being was then um well, gracious enough to, to 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 meet me again later on when i when i sort of matured a bit if you like and, and figured things out and then our kids came pretty quickly after that you know uh, and, and as you say now don't get me wrong there are days where they they could drive me to to my grave and you know and a different kind of depression um you know they are equally you know the thing that inspires me and gets me up every day and and if you like keeps focus and a certain perspective on life and uh, and 
and with or without kids, I'm not saying people who feel you know <laughs> got mental health issues go and have a couple of kids, and that's definitely not the recommendation, right? But but you find something, you find things in your life that give you gratitude and 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 focus, and they are definitely it. My, my wife and my two kids. Um, we're coming towards the end, but uh, one question: Do you have a morning routine? I well, I, I do. I do in the fact that I am. Um, I, st- I still, uh, because of you know, obviously my playing career, or whatever else, exercise is still a, a pivotal part for me. Right? I, I need that, whatever you want to call it, endorphin mm. that comes from exercise just to kickstart my day and focus my mind. And so I need that. It's almost like a, a drug, if that makes sense. Now my body is not capable of, of doing the things that used to be able to do. And you know, my, my knees definitely don't agree with me still wanting to do, to do so much exercise, but, but that is an absolute must for me. So, and because of kids, you know, it seems to be getting earlier and earlier, but I'll always try and do an hour every, every day in the morning, which is normally around six, six thirty to kickstart my day. Yeah. Even if I you know, drag myself through it and it's probably the worst session ever, I always feel better at the end of it. And that seems to set me up for the rest of of my day and whatever's whatever i need to tackle whereas if i don't do it i you know i quickly feel just a bit useless and a bit you know a bit flat and whatever else and 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 i can manage that for like you know one or two days but i i definitely then need need that so that would be my one if you like non-negotiable routine that i i always do or at least try to do at least four times a week five times a week if i can get it in there yeah um so that would that would be my routine, and then uh, I would love to say that there is more, and there probably are more structures that I'd love to put in place. But you know, a, a two-year-old and an eight-month-year-old year old, yeah, quick, quick, quickly put pay to any of those any of those plans. So I sort of relish that, and I I used to get frustrated. Now I just relish and enjoy the disruption and the okay, where's where's this morning taking me before I've actually got to go and do some work? Yeah, once I get to four or five, once I get to school. I'm not saying it gets any easier. It just gets a little bit different and it's slightly different focus, which isn't so demanding as having a time. Right, okay. Well, I'll just it's keep punching there. out then, Ollie. That's the message. Keep <laughs> just punching. A few more years. You wait, just keep Ollie. on trucking. <laughs> yeah. Right, Ollie, I'm going to um, bring it to a close uh, now because I know you've got another call that you've got to do this evening. I have not covered any of the more career after your um your, sure, your sure. rugby career and so there's a, still a lot to talk about your um different businesses different speaking events you're writing in a london newspaper um there is a lot to still talk about your role at uh, a big four yeah, yeah. so i would love to have you on again um let's my pleasure something in um uh, in in the next month or so um i'll speak to your secretary but we'll try and get a second episode in and that will be more targeted towards your uh, career post rugby is that all right yeah, yeah absolute pleasure yeah well, i mean that's probably a good sort of segue if you like we talked yeah. about rugby where where the business of rugby is yeah. and then my transition out of it and then you've called we've called time and then it'll be a great segue into the next one all right lovely ollie thank you so much for your time cheers mark P- pleasure all right.